This podcast is sponsored by Equiland, a global fintech firm for the securities finance industry. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Hazel's Asia Securities Finance Monthly with me, your host, Matt MacArthur in Hong Kong. As this is our maiden voyage, let me spend two minutes walking you through who I am and why Pazla has dipped their toe into the wide world of podcasts. I've been in Hong Kong for 14 years, all of which have been at an agency lending trading desk. I'm intimately familiar with our topics and more importantly, our experts. Since this is Pazla's inaugural introduction to podcasts, it's important to tell you why we created this for a very simple reason. Our goal is to have quality content provided by knowledgeable industry leaders speaking about relevant market topics. Our target audience is a hybrid of stock loan participants, whether it be grizzled APAC traders, new industry joiners, or curious industry outsiders who want some insight into Asia securities lending. And of course, our beneficial owners who might be thinking about lending or currently lend an APAC. All in all, this podcast is meant to level the playing field for everyone. Coming up in this episode, as South Korea misses out on the inclusion in the MSCI developed market watch list, we analyze the impact on inflows with industry experts Susan Moon and Sean Bay. And if securities lending was a movie, like, say, Star Wars, who would Serge Nikolaev play? Uh, R2-D2. <laughs> Definitely R2-D2. Uh, my mates always used to say I was I was the wingman, uh, and R2-D2 is the ultimate wingman, uh, I would suggest. More from the BNY industry legend a little later in the show. We begin in Korea, where there is always a healthy debate regarding the state of short selling. Recently, there were hopes that Korea would lift the current limitations that were implemented back in March 2020 as a response to the then global pandemic related volatility. But some recent setbacks have thrown that into flux. For some valuable market insight, we're happy to have with us two market experts Susan Moon, Vice President from Samsung Securities, joining us from Seoul, and Sean Bay, Director at Citigroup based out of Hong Kong. Welcome both to the first Pazla podcast, and thank you in advance for your time and thoughts. Okay, so let's get the ball rolling with some introductory questions. I'm sure that many listeners will be interested in an update on the latest developments surrounding the existing short-selling ban in Korea, but we'll get to that soon enough. Let's just start with some market basics. Korea's a very nuanced market, as we all know, starting with the IRC setup, but please help the audience with the concept of dual lending markets onshore and offshore. For the listeners not so familiar with the market, can you please share why this is? Susan, would you mind giving us your thoughts first? Sure. Um, I would like to highlight some differences in the onshore and offshore markets. As an onshore participant, I would say there is also a big difference in that onshore counterparties are overlooked mostly by the two intermediaries, the Korea Securities Depository, known as KSD, and the Korea Securities Finance Corp, known as KSFC. So whereas offshore counterparties are free to trade amongst themselves using agents, etc., almost all trades involving onshore firms would go through KSD or KSFC. So this makes the trades more rigid because most onshore counterparties have a system that revolves around these two organizations. And although there is an increasing amount of SBL trades put on customized via GEMSLA, a lot of the brokers and their risk departments still take on after the KSD standards for collateral and haircut, etc. So other differences would also include FOL, foreign ownership limited names, so investors with a foreign ID cannot directly borrow names in sectors like communications, airline industries, broadcasting industries, etc., and would have to trade through SOPs to shorten those names. Great. And one follow-up question. Onshore, is is it fair to say that onshore consists more of smaller cap names, or is that an assumption? Uh, Yes. The the retail pool is really abundant in middle to small cap names because the retail investors 
uh, tend to invest more in those names than institutional investors. So yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a big help. Sean, would you relay some highlights to the offshore and onshore to how you stand uh, working on a prime broker desk? Yeah, so uh, for an investor perspective, I think we might need to understand about the different dividend. So when we are borrowing from the offshore, maybe Korea starts from 78% and it can be like 85 or 100%. But Korea, when we are borrowing from the onshore, is the default as a 100% dividend. So that's the key difference. And as, as Suja mentioned, the biggest point is that, so let's say before the short sale ban, like Korea, short sale universe was like 2,500. But without onshore borrow, it's impossible. Yeah, that's that's great color. Uh, moving on, the recent news regarding the MSCI, how does that affect Korea? And will the government make another push to get on the watch list next year? I think it's been always been for like presidential election promise from 2008, but it's keep failing. So the biggest promise is to meet the FCI standards, we need to improve FX market trading hour and also lifting short sale universe is the key factor. So we've been trying, right? So Korea, in May and June, government regulators, they're trying to extend the FX trading hour. But I think it was a bad timing. The market collapsed. And at the end, we didn't improve the short sale universe. And at the end, we were not getting to the MSCI uh, developed market index. So I'm pretty sure without this, it's impossible to join in the MSCI developed market index. So I think we're going to keep trying, trying, trying. From my knowledge, uh, the MSCI developed market index is the only index that Curie didn't make it into uh, regarding the developed market index for 14 years. And um, one of the reasons is the FX trading hours, like Sean mentioned. And also for us, the important matter is the part about short selling, because obviously it's restricted to cost B200 and cost F150 names only. And I think we can gain some insight into what the government's plans are regarding what they would do to get on the watch list come June 2023. Perfect. That actually hops into my next question. What needs to happen to extend the current list of 350 short sellable names further? Yeah, I think it's worth it to mentioning about some market caller about retail investors. So yeah, it's a quite sensitive topic given Korean retail investors are very against on this. But it seems like Korean regulators are not are not willing to ignore retail investors' uh, strong voice again. E.g., previous President Moon administration, FSC chairman announced that they're going to lift limited short sale universe, but at the end, there wasn't changes. So I think we might, a Korean government or regulator need to try to change the view about the retail investors' view, given like covering volume from the daily margin transaction and CFT, it can also impact negative on the market direction. So I think they might need to give some more color and they might need to educate more retail investors. That's one of the necessary, I think. A lot of people expected, well, hoped for the restriction to be lifted uh, at the start of this year, but it didn't happen, obviously. So that's one of the reasons I think people are highlighting as the reason Korea didn't make it into the developed market index, uh, along with along with um, well the lack of English IR material, etc. All of this restricting foreign investors coming into the market. So one of the things we could note is 
uh, Mr. Na, the president of Kafia, he mentioned last week, I think two weeks ago, that he would help the government for Korea market to make it into the MSCI index next year. So I think the government will try again come June. So we could wait for that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Actually, that leads me perfect into the next question. Susan, would you mind getting some of your comments, your feedback on uh, last year, retail investors were allowed to short sell for the first time. How's that going? Is there much participation so far, more than you expected? Uh, there is some participation from the retail investors on the short selling side, although not as much as anticipated. So we have some statistics from KSFC that might help. The total pool for the retail investors to borrow from this is currently around 2 trillion Korean won, and that's about 1.5 billion USD. So for a little background information, the pool from KSFC mainly consists of equity that retail investors post as collateral while they use leverage. Also, each brokerage posts a bit of their retail pool. So everyone is well aware they have to sort of chip in to diversify the availability of this pool since there is a consensus that the retail investors should have better accessibility to short sell. But the utilization rate, however, is not as high as people expected. So currently the average balance of retail borrows are around uh, 40 million US dollars. So that's about only 2.5% of the pool. And considering that the recent daily trading volume from retail is a little shy of 4 billion USD, I would say the retail short sell is not too active at this point. So this shows that not only the accessibility to stock borrow leaves much to be desired, but also regulations and lack of information regarding retail short sell in general is something that the market should focus on. So for example, retail investors are required to pledge uh, 140% of the notional amount of borrow as collateral, whereas institutional investors are only required to post uh, 105%. Also, retail investors would have to roll over their borrow position every 90 days, whereas institutional borrowers don't have any such requirement. Yeah, that's good color, Susan. I didn't know half of those stats, so thank you very much. Sean, I think you might be the perfect person to ask this. Have the flows changed in 2022 due to the Kospi's underperformance relative to the other equity markets in Asia? Yeah, so I think this topic is good to compare with some number. So I checked with Equaland. And uh, this is the number from the Equiland. So from the 16th March 20 to 2nd May 21st, Korea shows a band. So I compare with uh, Taiwan and Hong Kong. So obviously, Taiwan is, we have similar structure with Korea. So it's really good to compare with Korea. And also Hong Kong, we can just compare as a like, developed market. So we can compare the trend, return, and you borrow. So this time period from the March 20th to uh, May 21st, Korea loan value dropped like 37%, but Hong Kong increased 16%, and Taiwan is doubled 100%. And market index changes, when we are looking at the Kospi during the same period, Kospi moved up 88%, and Hong Kong increased 18%, Taiwan increased 77%. Yeah, so obviously, during the short sale ban period, Korea loan value decreased 40%. But when we are looking at the other market like Taiwan and Hong Kong, Korea increased 88%, Taiwan increased 77%. So my feeling is that it's not really relevant regarding the Korea short sale ban versus the market movement. So during compared to 2018, Korea loan value is almost back to normal. But I'm not really worried about that. I think it's more like made by the local newspaper or retail investors' uh, strong voice. So 
my feeling is that it's not super relevant. So I'm not really worried about the market situation versus short sale regulation. Susan, just clarify the upside. If the MSCI had upgraded Korea to develop status, that would have been positive, no? And if the Korean markets makes the watch list in 2023, what impact would that have on the market? Uh, you're right. The market is expecting more equity inflows if Korea did upgrade to develop status on the MSCI index. So Goldman, at the start of the year, they made a forecast that uh, Korea's developed market reclassification would prompt over $44 billion of potential incremental foreign investor portfolio flows. Uh, that was 2.3% of the market cap at the time of the forecast. And they also mentioned that Kospi would be bumped over 30% of its current levels if the inclusion were to happen. So yes, if this did happen and if this was a more bullish market, then I guess the voice to ban short selling in Korea would have been a lot weaker. And unfortunately, this is not the case at the moment. So I think the government is going to try again next year and hopefully it turns out well. That's great. Thanks for the color, guys. I, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us. We appreciate your time, Susan and Sean. As Korea continues to evolve and develop, I hope you don't mind if we lean on you guys in the future. We started this podcast bringing you sharp, timely analysis in the APAC securities finance world. One of our other goals each month is to spend time with an industry legend to share their perspectives, insights, and some stories from their years in the business. And now let's spend some time with a very near and dear friend, someone who I've personally known for way too long. He's been in Hong Kong since almost the handover. He's a mentor to the lucky few, a friend to most, and a legend to us all. Please welcome Serge Mikolev from Bank of New York Agency Lending Hong Kong. Not sure about the legend, Matt. Uh, basically, uh, being here too long is what you're saying. But uh, thank you very much. And uh, uh, pleasure to be on, on the podcast with you. So, Serge, tell us a little bit about yourself, your career arc, working in London. When exactly did you come to Hong Kong? Oh, long story, long story. So I've been with uh, Boney now for uh, 22 years, joined in January 2000 after the uh, the craziness with uh, getting through the, the millennium. Um, joined Mellon Bank from uh, RBS Trust Bank, which conversely turned into BNY Mellon. Um, and then I uh, was in custody ops back then. Um, then I got moved to Holland for a couple of years when we set up the JV with ABN AMRO. And then uh, came back, I uh, moved into foreign exchange. Um, I was an analyst there. And then from there, I joined the securities lending team. I was in the front office and uh, the head of the desk uh, liked my, my chat. Uh, and uh, came up to me one day and said, uh, would you like to join the desk? I said, I've got no experience in securities lending. I'm on foreign exchange. Uh, he said, that's fine. And um, nine months later, when the opportunity came up, um, I joined the, the fixed income desk and quickly moved over to equity um, after about nine months or so. And then um, was there for a few more years on, on that side and then moved out to um, to Hong Kong. And that was in 2008 funny story about that though matt um literally it was the week that lehman's uh went under uh the week of the 15th of uh, september i sort of landed on uh, saturday we knew that there was there was trouble coming and uh, then i get a phone call from my boss on on the wednesday going uh get back to london asap i said well i'm meant to be here for two weeks i've got to go and sort out apartments and uh see brokers and, and everything else. And uh, he said, <laughs> no, I want to see you on Monday. 
So uh, I, I, I literally blitzed apartments. I think I saw like 60 in like two and a half days and uh, and then got myself back to back to London on the back end of it. But it was typhoon that week as well. It was just it was a crazy week. I'm like I'd never seen black rain and I got stuck in in, in Wanchai in in Typhoon, the old Typhoon bar of it was just a, a really strange week to sort of be in Hong Kong and and uh, and visiting. It was like do I do I really what am I getting myself into? Um, do I really want to be here? It was crazy, mate. All right, let me ask my next question in the in the form of a very quick story. When I was at university, my last year, the school paper nominated me as the number one most eligible bachelor, right? <laughs> what, what, what were you dreaming or something? It was a full spread in the school paper, but my girlfriend at the time was desperately trying to break up with me. So we go out to dinner and I slide the newspaper across the table and I say, check out who's on page 18. She thumbs through the paper, passes right by my bio and I say, whoa, 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 cowboy, what are you doing? You, you missed it. And she goes, no, no. I'm just checking out all my options. <laughs> so that being bad story, but that being said, with so many opportunities in Hong Kong at prime brokers or at other agency lenders, what's kept you at the role of agency lender at Bank of New York for so long? Oh, that's that's, that's an easy question. Um, people, it's always people. All right, um, and we've had a, a crew for a long time. The guys of Night in London have been there for a long time and certainly the crew I've got out here have been here a long time as well and it's people that sort of keep you um, in your roles more so than anything else. Uh, there are good times and bad times and uh, ebbs and flows but um, having, having a good boss is very helpful, having a supporting boss um, is really good and just the people around you, you've you got to enjoy coming in every day, haven't you Matt? It's like no yeah. point coming in if you're not going to have some fun. Uh, as much as anything else. You totally nailed it. You're absolutely right. Uh, that actually bleeds into my next question perfectly. What are some traits that make an excellent securities lending trader? I've, I've been asked this a, a few times, uh, particularly when you sort of go through grad schemes and interns and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, I've got three things that I sort of identify when I'm, I'm looking for a trader in securities finance. First thing is passion. You've got to have a passion for the role. Uh, if you don't have passion for it, then um, then there's no point going in. You want to be able to do the best that you can. Um, you've got to sort of want to do it. Right? If you don't want to be here, then there's no point being here. And, and that's one thing that I can't really teach um, is the passion side of things. So that's the first thing that I, I always look for uh, in a, a trader. Communication, that's number two on my list. Um, that's across the board, though. I think not just in our world. I think that's uh, in every sort of facet of life these days. Being able to communicate, whether that's verbally, or whether that's on email or chat or however it is, is really, really paramount to, to getting business done and, and just being like humans, right? We've got to be able to communicate with each other. Uh, and look, you've got lots of different ways of doing it these days. And sometimes I feel that there's too many, and it and it gets the message gets lost sometimes. Um, so that's 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 really really important. And then thirdly, we're traders. You've got to be able to execute. Right? It doesn't matter what you do, what you say. Um, if you are not executing and and making revenue for your clients and for for your company, there's no point you really being there. Right, that seat can be taken by somebody else. Uh, you've got to go and execute uh, at the end of the day. So they're the three things that I sort of tell people when any, anyone asks me that question. 
how do you balance out the high stress of making P&L, demanding clients, and multiple night calls with the U.S. and the U.K.? Mate, that is a real tough one, and there's no real sort of answer to it. It's uh, it's it's attitude. You got to get on with it, uh, kind of attitude. Um, I'm a bit sort of old school in that kind of way, the way that I was brought up um, on the desk and stuff. It was just you get on with it, but also then it's it's trying to sort of explain to those guys that are in different locations that, that can you try and and be a little bit more APAC friendly, and it's working with those people and taking turns like yes look i'll do a later call if you can do one in the, in the morning for me it's not always uh something that you can pull off but people are starting to realize that uh, it is a, a global game and we are at a global bank and uh, we do need to sort of try and um and be reasonable about these things so if you do need a pack on think about it let's do it first thing in the morning from a new york time or if you can, I'll, I will uh, do the same thing from here. So whatever it takes sometimes is is how I sort of see it. But um, but people trying to be flexible uh, and just reminding them that um, there are there are other places outside of, uh, of New York sometimes. Yeah, very fair. And, and now for the serious questions. If securities lending was a movie, let's say maybe one of your favorite Star Wars, I would clearly be Han Solo, right? Handsome, safe. Absolutely, mate. Gets the girl, everything. Who who would you be? Chewbacca, Lando Carlissimo, maybe Yoda? Talk to me. Uh, R2-D2. <laughs> Definitely R2-D2. Uh, my mates always used to say I was I was the wingman, uh, and R2-D2 is the ultimate wingman, uh, I would suggest. Oh, that's brilliant. Um if not securities lending, what would you be doing? We know it wouldn't be male modeling. Would it potentially be like a diamond dealer, a football talking head, maybe for working for a Rolling Stone magazine? <laughs> well, my dad is in the jewelry business. I didn't really like it as a kid. Um, what I wanted to do um, was as a kid was play football. But then I realized once I got to like 12, 13, even being at a, at a pro club, um, there was a lot of other lads who were much, much better than me. Um, but what if I had my life all over again, I would like to direct music videos. That was something that interests me. I love music and, uh, and I like the visuals to go with it. Um, my wife won't let me anywhere near hers, uh, but that is something that I would have loved to have done. Oh, that's brilliant. I didn't know that. Uh, well, Serge, we appreciate your time as always, and hopefully we'll welcome you back onto one of these podcasts in the future. So thanks again. Hey, it's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure having a quick chat with you today. And look, uh, mate, I'll be uh, happy to come back and uh, have another quick uh, chat with you later on. That sounds great. Uh, that's it for this edition of Asia Securities Finance Monthly. Thanks to our guests, Susan Moon, Sean Bay, Serge Mikalev for joining us today. This podcast was sponsored by Equiland, a global fintech firm for the securities finance industry. Our only ask to the listener is, you are our lifeline. Market feedback of any kind helps. Comments, suggestions on future topics, inquiries, they're all welcomed. Please reach us at podcast at paslaonline.com. I'm Matt MacArthur, and thanks for joining us. And we'll see you on the next edition of Asia Securities Finance Monthly, where we'll be discussing topical issues in the China market. This podcast was sponsored by Equilend, a global fintech firm for the securities finance industry.